Morning. My name is Scott Verno, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life. And whether you're joining us here in person or whether you're joining us online, it means the world to us um, to have this time to spend with you. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus uh, because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so our hope is that when you've discovered that source of life, that yes, you'll hold on to it, but you'll share it with every single person that you encounter. And uh, if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you in this journey, please, please, please let us know. Um, it's, always, it's always a roll of the dice to get the preschool on the stage, amen? But can we give them and the teachers one more big round of applause? I, I lo- this building is insane every day of the week. It's just awesome to come in here. You never know what's gonna be happening, but I love hearing the voices and the shouts, and uh, it's, just, it's just exciting to see all the work that they're doing, and the teachers are, are so amazing. So, um, so happy Mother's Day to all our mothers, and I wanna make sure that, um, and, and those who are mentor mothers and those who are working to be mothers and, and all of those things in between, um, we have some special things for you on the way out today. So we have a, a, a husband and wife local artisan group that has made all of these crosses for you. Um, and so mom, make sure that you get one of those. They've been prayed over. They're thinking about you. And so make sure you get one of those. And then also we have these Cheryl's cookies for each mom. Now, I just got to tell you, I got myself in trouble in the first service because I tasted the key lime pie cookies and I made the statement that I will fight a mother for these key lime pie <laughs> cookies. And now all the key lime pie cookies are gone. So I apologize. All of the rest are just as good. So make sure that you get one. This is the last one and I will fight you for that. So it's the last one that we have. I'll give it away at the end of the service. But make sure that you get them. We just want to bless you and, uh, and take care of you. Amen. So, um, so one other announcement that goes kind of along with Mother's Day is an opportunity that we have here at the church. And um, so if you've been here for, for many years, you know that in December, we have a special service called the Angel of Hope Service. And there is an Angel of Hope statue that's in Pensacola. And every year for those families who've lost children of any ages, whether it's miscarriage or an adult child um, or anything in between, um, we try to rally around those families and love them during that time because we know how difficult it is. And so through prayer and just really processing through, we believe that God has spoken to us um, to have an Angel of Hope statue here in the Butterfly Garden at Community Life um, because we believe that families need that place to connect. You know, um, there are some faith systems that get nervous around uh, the idea of sacred space, right? So if you come from a non-denominational world, sacred space makes you a little bit nervous. And so what I would say to you is, uh, if you ever travel the world and go to Israel and you walk through Capernaum, which was Jesus' hometown, there's something about that place where you can just feel it. If you walk the Temple Mount, there's something about that place. And I'm convinced that God gives us these sacred places where we gather and we get to experience just a special ministry that God provides in those moments. I believe, I believe our prayer labyrinth has that for me. I've prayed for years that over the prayer labyrinth is an open heaven. And I'm not trying to say anything weird. I just believe that there are connecting spots. And so for me, the Angel of, the Hope, Angel of Hope statue represents that to us and to, to this church and for those families that have lost children. And so, um, so we decided to do this. The total cost for the angel is $25,000. We made this decision and I'm going to tell you, we've only talked to a few life groups and a few families, and we've already raised over $12,000 to go towards that. 
And so we decided to open it up to the congregation. And maybe this connects to your heart and you want to make a donation to do that today. You can do that. You can write a check and just write Angel of Hope on that. And you can drop it in the boxes around. Or the QR code on the right is our giving QR code. And uh, in, the, in the box, there's a drop down that you can designate it towards Angel of Hope. But just looking forward to really loving and ministering to families. Amen? So we're looking forward to having that by this fall so that we can celebrate that service here on our grounds and uh, just really love and and care for families. So looking forward to that. And thank you for uh, for allowing me to share that with you. And then last but not least, and and I I was talking to Clint about this today, and I wasn't sure this was a Mother's Day announcement, but I'm going to to go ahead and make it. We have our uh, disaster response team outside. And so I said, Clint, what says mother like disaster response? (laughs) Because that's what you guys all spend your lives doing. And so here's what I would say to you. Uh, And especially if you've got your mother here, maybe you brought your mom today. The the disaster response team is is really preparing for hurricane season. And so if you want to volunteer and you're able to do that, go ahead and sign up with them. But you also may have a mama that's here in the area or a father that's unable to hang hurricane shutters or prepare. We want them on a list so as a church we can stand alongside and resource them and make sure that they're well. You can also go by and sign up and get on that list. So make sure that you stop by out there and see the team and um, and help us to be ready for all of the disasters that that may happen. And, And what I honestly believe is if we prepare for the disasters, they don't happen. Amen? So make sure that you prepare. Okay. So, um, so today we start a new series, and our new series is called Kingmaker, and it is the, it is the study of, of Samuel in the Bible, the prophet Samuel. And for those who don't know, Samuel is one of the most significant prophets, priests, judges, military leaders of the Old Testament. So if you don't know anything about the faith, you more than likely have heard of the story of David and Goliath. So you know David. David ultimately becomes a king, but there was also Saul who was the very first king. And Samuel was the one that was responsible for anointing, praying over them and installing them as kings over Israel. And so Samuel, for us, will represent that transition from um, a place that Israel finds themselves, which is not a good place at the end of the period of the judges, into the period of the kings, which is a period of prosperity and growth for Israel. And so I'm looking forward to going over this story for the next five weeks and talking to you about one of my favorite people in all of the Bible. Now you may say to me, Scott, it seems weird on Mother's Day to talk about a dude named Samuel, amen? Well, here's what I want you to know. You do not get an awesome man of faith like Samuel without a rock star mother like his mother, Hannah. And so we're gonna be talking about Hannah today and really unpacking her story because how Hannah lives her life and her amazing faith leads to Samuel being in this world and transitioning Israel. So you get to see all of it together. So moms, we wanna honor you and your life and, um, and really just share this story with you. Now, before we get into the message, I, I do need to say this, that Hannah's story is a story uh, about infertility and her struggle to have children. And so I need to say right up front that, that as a pastor, I am not always perfect with my words. And if you've walked that road or if you are walking that road, um, this, I'll just go ahead and tell you that this sermon could bring up some of those wounds and some of those hurts that you walk through. And if I say something that, that, that hurts, it's not my intention. So I'm gonna do everything I can to choose my words wisely and to connect you to the God that loves you in the journey that you're in and the church that wants to stand alongside you in the midst of that. Amen? 
Okay, so because I know that you love charts and graphs, we're going to start with a chart and a graph, a timeline, your favorite timeline, and here it is. Now, the last service, I forgot my pointer, but look at here, y'all. We're back on track. So the all is right in the world today. Um, so here's the timeline for Israel. We have Abraham over here, first made covenant with God. Eventually, God moves the children of Israel into Egypt to protect them from the famine. And then he has to get them out of there. And this is where Moses comes into the story. Let my people go. And he moves them out. He takes them to the edge of the promised land, but their faith fails them and they're not ready to go in. And so they spend time in the wilderness until God raises up the next generation, which is led by Joshua. And we did an entire series on Joshua. Um, wherever you go, wherever you set your foot, I'm going to give you that land. And so that is the understanding of this time of the promised land. And so after Joshua goes in and fights all these battles and he passes away, um, Israel is led by a group of regional leaders that God would raise up from time to time to time called judges. But what you need to know about the judges is, or the period of the judges, is that from the time of Joshua, which is a very prosperous time where they took a lot of land and gained a lot of space for Israel, the period known as the judges is sometimes referred to as the downward spiral for Israel that they just start to degrade and they start to walk away from the things that God had spoken over them. And at the end of the period of the judges, they look more like the nations around them than they ever looked like Israel. And that's where Samuel comes into the picture right here and he transitions us into this period known as the kingdom period. And so to set for you the, the, um, the setting of, of what they're looking at, if you were to go back and you were to read the very last verse in Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it gives you a foreshadowing of what's going on in Israel. The writer writes this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. And so Israel was just living their best life, doing whatever it was that they wanted to do. They looked at all of the other gods of the land as opportunities for them to pray for fertility, to pray for their crops, to pray for all of the different things. And so they had just become like the other nations around them and they were a hot, hot mess. And so as we step into 1 Samuel chapter one, you need to know that that is the location and that is the, that is the heartbeat, if you will, of how we find Israel. And it's out of this story where we rediscover Hannah, this woman of great faith that transitions an entire nation. And so I'm excited to study and to talk about her today and to really unpack this story. So we're going to read through all of chapter one minus a few verses, and then I'm going to give you the first 10 verses of, of chapter two so you can see the transformation that happens inside of Hannah's life. And um, I hope that, that you can connect to this story and really hear a message that will not only speak to our mamas, but also to us and what God would say to you today. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 1. It says, There was a certain man of Ramathium, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf. Just say them like you know what they say, sound like, and just keep on moving, right? <laughs> An Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And so in verses one and two, you get to meet the family. You get to meet Elkanah, the husband, Hannah, the wife, one of the wives, and Peninnah, the second wife. So something, Israel that you, uh, something interesting you need to know about Elkanah. So Elkanah, in this story, shows up as a very faithful man, 
a man who loves his wives, a, a man who goes to the temple to worship. And so he shows up as a good-hearted, natured man who believes in God and loves his family. But something that you may not see, and you know, this is where scholars start to make up stuff in the story, is if you went to 1 Chronicles chapter 6, you find out that Elkanah is a Levite that he was born into the Levitical tribe. And here's the interesting thing about him. He's not living where he should be living in terms of the Levitical tribe. And so as a Levite, you were supposed to live in certain regions because you had a responsibility by God to practice in the priesthood. And so we find Elkanah not living in that area. Now you say, what does that mean? I don't know. I think what it means is that Israel is at a place where priests are not necessarily practicing. They're not fully engaged with their faith. But I'm not trying to say anything wrong about Elkanah because I believe that he was a good-hearted man that loved God. So you just have to see him as somebody who's serving God but maybe not fully connected to his faith. Then you get the story of his two wives, Hannah, who has no children, and Penina, who has multiple children. Now, something you need to know about the context of this time is that because passing on a lineage and having children was so important for the growth of the nation and for the spread of a family's name, that if a person, if, if a man married a woman and she was unable to, to have children, it was pretty common for him to marry a second wife because procreation was so important for the spread of the family, for the spread of Israel, and so they took it seriously, and so you would often find two wives if there was a, a challenge like this. And so you find the story of Hannah and more than likely she was the first that he married and then he also remarried so that they could have children and so the family name could carry on. But you can imagine the challenges that this is going to bring to the family moving forward. So here we go on in the story, verse three. It says, now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Now, you get, you're introduced quickly right up front to this name Eli. There's not a descriptor for him. They don't tell us who Eli is or the position that he's in. Um, we find out later that he's the high priest and that his sons have a position of prominence, but they don't tell you. And so what scholars believe is that Eli was probably known to the first readers of this book, maybe of his prominence. And so those who read it, they knew exactly who Eli was, but they didn't give us that information just thinking that we would know. And so I want you to know that Eli is that prominent priest that's in charge. Here's what you need to know about Eli's sons. They're scoundrels. They're not good men. The things that they're doing in the priesthood is deplorable. And so it just further tells you about what's going on in Israel at these high levels of leadership. Um, verse four, it says, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. And so you get a picture of not just a few, but there's a, a large um, offspring that she has. It says, um, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And so you see the picture of a, of a husband who loves his wife. And in the midst of this struggle of infertility that they're walking through, you can still see him trying to love her and support her and take care of her. And so you see him walking along in this very same struggle. Um, verse, I don't know, five. But to, uh, but to Hannah, he gave her a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Verse six, here's where you start to see the challenge. Her rival, which is Penina, used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so you can see the battle that Hannah was facing uh, seemingly every day of her life. Verse seven, 
So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, that she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so sad? And then this is what he says to her. Am I not more to you than 10 sons? And I remember reading that thinking, what a jerk, right? Like, how do you say that to your wife who's walking through this? And, and so we talked about it in worship planning and it was interesting as we went through this. And, and we have those in worship planning that have, that have walked through these challenges in their life. And, and, and here's, here's what you know if you've had to face this is that like a wife who's struggling with this, a husband is carrying that very same weight. And in his own way and in his own challenges, he's trying to figure out how to articulate, how to love his wife. But guys, isn't it true that oftentimes we mean the right thing, but we say the wrong thing? Amen, right? I mean, that's so, so often what happens. And so as he looks at his wife, he's like, Am I, can I not be enough to you more than even 10 sons? And I think it comes from a place to where he's just as broken and he wants to see her well, but, but maybe not sure what to say. So you can see what they're walking through. Verse nine, after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now, I, I love this part of the story. Have you ever gotten to a situation in life where you've just had enough? You've been beat up by life enough. You've heard everybody talk to you enough and you're just sick and tired of it. And it's time for you and God to have a get together. Anybody ever get to that place? And you show up in the throne room of God and, and you're not meek and mild anymore. You're like, yo, we need to talk. That is exactly what happens with Hannah. She goes in with this boldness, just torn about everything that's going on in life. And she has reached her end and she's going in to pour out her heart. And I want you to hear the descriptors of how Hannah is portrayed in this moment. She is not the perfect person. She's broken, she's hurting, and she just lays all of that out to God. It says, um, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat. That's a position of authority. That means that he was either leading or he was in a position of judgment. So it tells you where he's at. This is gonna become important later because he misses the point of what's unfolding. And he's beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants and no razor shall touch his head. And, and so what that means is she, she's, she's crying out to God. She's making her plea. And here's what she's saying. God, if, if you see fit to allow this to happen in my life, then I will take and I will dedicate this child wholly to you, that he will be set apart for you in life and he will not be entangled with the rest of the world, that there will not be the vices of this world that we become a part of his life. And so you see her make that, that have that conversation with God. Verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she was drunk. Now, just think about this for a moment. You are sitting in a seat of, of authority. You're in the house of prayer. Someone comes in and they're just spilling their heart out to God. Now, can we all agree that there are different signs that indicate to us that someone's drunk? We've all seen them. 
in the house of prayer, pouring out your heart is probably not one of those signs. Amen? And so here we have Hannah at her end, pouring it all out. And to add insult to injury, she's now offended by the church. That Eli is so disconnected from the faith that he doesn't even see the deep work that God is doing in the heart and life of this woman that is in front of him. And he accuses her of being drunk. Verse 14. So Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I am but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as worthless, as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. And so this is a very broken woman that is crying out and she's saying, please, sir, don't see me as that. Know that I am a person who is seeking God and wanting to, to see God evident in my life. Verse 17, then Eli answered, and it's so interesting, it's almost as if he realized how bad he blew it. And so he responds by bestowing a blessing upon her. He says, go in peace, the God of Israel, grant the petition you have made of him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. That verse is so interesting that we see her pour her heart out, but then her faith brings her to a place to where she receives the blessing and she holds on to that blessing. She cleans up her face. She allows her countenance to change. And then she moves forward as if she knows she, she was heard by God and she's going to trust that God is going to be, be sovereign and make the right decision in her life. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. Now it's interesting, we see them go back home, and scripture tells us that they come together, and, um, and, but then it says, in due time she conceives. That phrase, in due time, we don't know if that was immediate, we don't know if that was years. Scripture doesn't tell us, but it's interesting how during that time, it was her faith that had to carry her through whatever in due time was. That in God's sovereign nature, there was a time in God's plan and she had to wait on it. And when that time came about, we see the birth of Samuel. Now verses 21 all the way down through 27 are interesting and I'll paraphrase those. And so, so she gives birth to the son and, um, she just, and she recognizes the pledge that she made. And so she's going to raise Samuel to the age of about three until she weans him. And then she's going to take and she's going to offer Samuel back to the temple along with a sacrifice. And she's going to drop him off and leave him in the care of Eli. And so just to bring you up to speed, imagine if you had a three-year-old child and you decided to drop them off into the care of Clint and I. Now, earlier service, I didn't mention Jim, and Jim's like, no, I'm fine. You can just drop them off with me. I'll take care of them. But for the love of God, do not leave them with Scott and Clint. Um, but that's what she was doing. And I want you to wrestle with this, that she finally receives the cry of her heart, but what does she immediately do? She turns and she gives this child back to God, figuratively and literally. Verse 28, it says, therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. She left him there for the Lord. Imagine how hard that would have been. The word lent for us means something different in our, in our, voca our vocabulary. If I lend you something, I am fully expecting to get it back. 
In this, it's giving something to someone to allow them to use it for their own service, knowing that they're going to use it. And so what she did is she released control of her child into the hands of God for God to use in his service. And so it's a beautiful picture of her releasing her child to God. And so you see that closing out of chapter one. Now, what I want to do, and I'm going to move quickly, is just read for you the first 10 verses of chapter two, because I want you to see the contrast between the Hannah who cries out from a place of distress, bitterness, anxiety, and vexation to the Hannah that on, after living through the struggle and holding it in faith, what God does to transform her in her life and how she now sees and holds on to her faith because she becomes a woman who's, whose heart changes into to this entire scenario. Verse uh, chapter two says, Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory or a better translation is your salvation. And so Hannah goes into this entire scenario with no strength in a world where she was viewed as less than. Now she finds that God is the one that gives her strength and she knows where that strength comes from. And so here she finds this sovereign God of the universe blessing her and bringing her to a whole new place. Verse two, there is no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. You know what blows me away about verse two is if you think of Israel in their totality, they don't even believe this. But you find this woman who went through this great struggle in life, who, 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 is, who God raises up from being the least of these, and you discover a woman who holds God as being the one, the only one. Her faith, her heart is now represented as not just being able to speak into the life of her child and her family, but now you see her speaking into the life of Israel. Her viewpoint changed from just this to now the greater story that God has connected her to. Verse three says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. She understands that even though she went through this horrible issue with Peninnah, who's never mentioned again in scripture, she realizes that her place is to never be proud, but to allow God to give her a voice, that God would be the one that would raise her up. And then verses four, all the way down through many of the verses, you see this upside down nature of God. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with the spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills, the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. And so here you have Hannah who has a better insight about God than Eli or anybody else during that time. She understands that it is God who is sovereign that raises people. It's not the strength of the bow. It's not the strength of the person. It's not the number of children that you have. It is God who gives you that very nature in life. And then verse eight to me is the theme that runs all the way through Samuel. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. It's the story of David and Goliath. David, who was a shepherd that wasn't even invited to the anointing party. 
You see God taking the least and raising them up. Once again, the, the sovereign God. Nine and 10, he will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversary shall be shattered. The most high will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Can you feel the difference in Hannah in this moment versus the moment before? There is a change that happens in her life. And so let me just go ahead and say that as we kind of make the sense, and there's one big point that I want to leave you with today, is you may ask, Scott, why is it that we're talking about Hannah or Samuel on this Mother's Day? Because I want you to know that when Israel was at one of its very lowest points, it was the faithfulness of a mother that shifted an entire nation. And so on Mother's Day, moms, I want you to recognize the power of this story, that this woman who is so broken and so marginalized and so hurting after allowing God to do a deep work in her life, her faith was not only what transformed her family, but her faith was also what began the transformation that would take place in Israel. If you want to be shocked, go back and read the last three chapters of Judges. The last three chapters of Judges are horrific. You can't read them out loud, and for God's sake, do not read them to your children. Now you say, Scott, why do you tell me that? Because I want to guarantee that you go back and read it. Because some of you sickos are going to go back, and you're going to, I'm kidding, go back and read it. <laughs> go back and read it, because it will tell you how depraved that Israel is at this point. They're so depraved, they're so removed from the original design that God has for them that they look like many of the nations around, but in some instances, even worse. Even the priesthood was a mess. The responsibility of those who are supposed to represent God to the people and people to God. Listen to this, Eli's two sons. They were stealing from the sacrifices. They were threatening and extorting people. And if that wasn't enough, they were sleeping with the women that served in the tabernacle. Can we all agree that Israel was a hot mess? They were in a very, very bad place. And along in the midst of all this comes Hannah. And I want you to remember She's not something special in the eyes of the world. She doesn't show up as a superhero. She's a broken woman who, by the world's account, is cursed um, and by her own family is being derided. And in her, own ver in her own words, she sees herself as distressed, anxious, and vexed. And so from the beginning of this story, we see a woman that you would think would not be able to bring about anything special. But what Hannah is, is faithful, she pours out her heart. She, she meets God and she pours out her heart. And this is what blows me away. And, and, and immediately, she's insulted by the man of God. And so if it wasn't enough that she pours out her heart and she's broken, she's offended by the church. But she pushes through that and she receives the blessing and then she goes and she stands on her faith. She changes her countenance and she waits to do time to trust and see what God does in her life. And when Hannah reemerges, I want you to hear this. Her faith transformed her from the least in society to one who was no longer vexed over her family situation, but now was able to see her role in speaking over the life of Israel. This was more than a mother's heart for her family. It was a mother's heart for the people of God. Her faith and her struggle changed her horizon. She no longer saw just her struggle. God gave her a heart for the greater story. 
And so some of you might say, as biblical scholars do, or, or those who would fight against the text, that sure, she was able to do this because she got what she want, but because what she wanted, it's easy to get to that place afterwards. But I want to remind you that after three years with her son, what did she do? She gave him up. And so that one thing that she prayed so hard for, she ultimately would have to release him. And here's what I want you to hear me say to you, is that the way that we hold scripture is so important. Sometimes we ask the Bible to do things that the Bible was never intended to do. It would be so easy for a family that was struggling with infertility to read this story as a prescription for what you should do. That, okay, I see that story, so if I do exactly what Hannah does, then I'm going to get exactly what Hannah received. And, and I think that's a product of the way that we've taught scripture in the wrong way. Here's what I will tell you. The greater message is something that's far greater than even that. Not, not to minimize on what she walked through, but the message is this, is that no matter what you're walking through, that Hannah, as this mother, becomes an example for all of us to take our vexation, our anxiety, our hurt, our anguish, whether it's infertility or whether it's brokenness, whether it's the loss of a business, whether it's just chaos in life, and to hit our knees and present it to God. And then after we present it to God, to then hold on to our faith. And what happens is when you walk through that journey, God brings you through this story of transformation where he lifts your eyes from only being able to see what you're walking through to allowing you to see the greater story. And when he does that, he gives you a new insight into what you're walking through, but then also your role to play in the rest of this world and maybe what others are walking through. Hannah emerges as a person who doesn't just learn about something for her own family, but in verses one through 10, learns about the sovereignty of God. And I honestly believe that Hannah was such a person of faith that even if she had not received a son, that she would have walked away from that challenge and that struggle with a greater understanding of the sovereignty of God and she would have found her role and her ability to love women well in the midst of all of that. Amen? And so here's what I would say to you. First of all, thanks to our moms, your love, your nurture, the way that you care, and thanks to those who, who would want so desperately to be a mom. You have that very same nurturing heart inside of you and who knows the sovereignty of God and what God is going to do in your life. But here's what I know, regardless of what you're walking through, pour it out to God and then stand on your faith and see what God does in your life. Because I honestly believe God will speak into that, but he will take and he will use what you're walking through for his glory. Because we find this mother as the transition point for the children of Israel. A very broken nation at this point is now trans starting to transition and moving towards one of their most prosperous times because of Hannah's faith. And so my hope and my belief is that today you can hold on to that greater understanding of that story. And so just one last transition. This prayer that we're looking at, Hannah's prayer, is closely connected to what we studied over Christmas. Remember the canticles and Mary's story, the Magnificat? Well, the story of Mary and her song almost directly parallels Hannah and her understanding of a God that meets her right in the middle of her grief. And what does Mary say? God, be it unto me as you have spoken. The yielding of our hearts, regardless of the journey that God has called us on, to live into the full promise and understanding of what God is holding over us, knowing that God knows better for our lives and trusting him wholeheartedly along the way. And so my hope is that wherever you find yourself today, 
that regardless of the circumstances, that you would allow your heart to be connected to the God that loves you and that you'd be willing to pour out your heart and let that God do something special inside of you today. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we're so grateful, God, for these moments, for the, for the struggle, God, that we're walking through. As hard as it is to say that, God, the struggle is real. The prayers and the tears and the heartache and the families that I know that I've just been able to stand beside, but those who in the silence of their own homes are crying out for whatever reason, Lord, this story gives us the hope of a God that is present to us today and a God that is sovereign, who's watching the, the greater story. And Lord, I pray that in all of this, that you connect us, that you draw us in. And even in our knowledge in the beginning of our faith in Jesus, Lord, that you would connect our hearts to a story that goes beyond just our own struggle. Because Lord, one thing that you do is you take our brokenness and you use it to bring healing, not just to ourselves, but to those that are around us. And so God, do exactly that today. And for those that maybe would open up their heart for the very first time, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring life and bring hope in the name of your son, Jesus. We love you, we trust you, and it's in his name we pray, amen. I'd like to invite you to stand, and the band is gonna lead us in this final song. Um, if you would like prayer today, uh, Addie is down front here on this side. I'll be on this side. I would love to pray with you. Um, but, but if not, allow these words to just speak into your life as we sing along in this, this final closing. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling.
mother would be willing to give her child. And if you've ever had a three-year-old before, you have made, maybe have felt that same thing, but Hannah's faith in that moment was so incredible, right? Thank you so much for being here with us. If you're new, if this is your first time, we'd love to connect with you in the Next Steps room, just right out in the lobby. Or if you're looking for a way to grow deeper, just have a conversation with us right out. Let's, let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for these women in our lives. God, who lead us well, who love us well, and who, God, just give us so much. I pray that as we leave this place, we would leave with the sort of faith that Hannah had, God, to bring uh, our faith into a real way into the world around us. Help us to love well and help us just to be your people. We give you thanks and it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a wonderful week. Never left my side, never left my side, no.